Avengers Infinity War. Now, nothing will ever be the same. Can anyone make sense out of all that's happened? These guys are going to try. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York morning radio broadcast announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, inundated with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. What happens next? Listen up, true believers. It's time for another episode of The Marvelists. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches feet just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud, he's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look, overhead, hey there, there goes the Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents The Amazing Spider-Man. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists. I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the topic matter at hand of 2002's Spider-Man, directed by Sam Raimi and starring Tobey Maguire, we are going to get into how you can get a hold of us on social media. Eddie, Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there and join the 2,000 plus that have liked our page. That's right. Give us a follow on the Twitter at The Marvelists. There we go. You can also give myself a follow at Peter Melnick and yourself at EWilson959. And you can also follow our show on Instagram at The Marvelists. And you can also follow our show in your hearts, Eddie. You just have to believe, because guess what, Eddie? With great power comes great responsibility. And a decent Twitter following. But you can also drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. So, Eddie, before we also get into the topic matter at hand of talking about this movie. At heart, too. At heart and lungs and cockles of the heart and all that other stuff. This is a biology class all of a sudden? I think so. But, Eddie... Go on Stitcher.com slash premium and use that promo code at checkout. Marvelists. And listen to our show through that, through Stitcher Premium, because, yeah, you can listen through regular Stitcher. However, by signing up, you can help support this here fine program. Tough word for Peter. I know. I, I like, we, we, we apologize. Things happen. Go on and use that promo code at checkout, Marvelists, and you'll be able to help support the show and be able to listen to a wide variety of great programming as well, such as the Smodcast library featuring shows like Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, Smodcast, of course, Hollywood Babylon, Tell em Steve Dave, among many other Kevin Smith classics. And on top of that, you can listen to the now-concluded Wolverine The Long Night, which 
I got to tell you, I was a big fan of. I love the noir sensibilities of the story. And, yeah, it was very enjoyable. Cool. Yeah. So, for Peter Malick, I'm... No. <laughs> Whoa. Eddie, before we even get into the topic matter at hand of Spider-Man from 2002, something else happened today. With the start of our Spider-Man month, I feel it's appropriate that Sony was like, you know what, that Peter and Eddie over there in New York... We really like those guys. Hmm. We're going to drop on the first day they start recording for this thing, this big shindig. We're going to give them a Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse trailer. Nice. And I got to tell you, I really dug the hell out of this thing. And it's kind of like the first, like little bits and pieces of the first trailer that we initially saw. This movie, which isn't even coming out until I believe December, question mark? I believe it's a winter release. But... I really enjoy it, and I feel this animation style, it's very almost Disney-like with the character designs, and you don't, you haven't really seen stuff like that. It's in my, well, we both looked at it together, actually, and it did, it did smack of something familiar Disney-esque. I'm going to go Pixar. Yeah, possibly, I would say. Because now that I've seen, and granted, I have not seen many Disney Pixar movies outside of trailers having to go see the superhero movies and they wind up in the mix. But seeing that animated style, whether it be Minions, you know, Despicable Me or Incredibles, more along those lines, same type of of animation. And if you didn't know, you know, times progress and you see how different animations come out and emerge and they become distinctive. So that's truly a cool evolution, I think, in just the animation field. Absolutely. And seeing the character of Miles Morales be given life on the big screen, be it animated or even live action one day, but right Mm -hmm. now animated, I am excited. I feel that what we're getting with the portrayal of Miles Morales finally on the big screen is a big deal. And we're also getting Spider-Gwen. This kind of movie to get these characters in the big screen now makes more sense than it would to have them incorporated in another film because you need the backstory of Miles Morales in there to help bring him in. You need a regular Gwen Stacy first before you can even get Spider-Gwen. Agreed, yeah. So by doing this movie and just doing one, two, three, we already have a pre-established backstory and everything. That's perfect. So if we are to get these characters, do it this way. You don't need to do a long, convoluted explanation in the live-action movies. Just do it through this way, and it works. Yeah, it's more it lends itself more to being accepted, I think, if it's animated, and you don't have to do too much delving into. But you know, the way it was and the I story, think, brought yeah. about, it will not transcend, but it'll, uh, it'll pass muster and be pretty, uh, pretty decently accepted. If I even make the jump into the other universe, really. Well, Eddie, can you make the jump into that universe? I don't know. I need a running start. (laughs) Or a golf cart. But on top of that, speaking of trailers, this week the new trailer for Wreck-It Ralph 2 just got released. And the thing about Wreck-It Ralph is it's a movie known for the idea of all these different video game characters interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. Why are we talking about this? I don't know. Well, (laughs) Disney Disney owns Wreck-It Ralph. That's, on, that's it. That's all you need to know. <laughs> on top of that, Disney owns Star Wars, Disney owns Marvel, and Disney owns the Muppets. 
Disney owns a lot of stuff. Maybe one day they'll own this podcast. We don't know. Because <laughs> Disney just saying, let's work something out. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We can figure something out. Hint, hint. But they own all these characters, and with the upcoming movie of Wreck-It Ralph 2, we're going to be seeing characters like ones from Winnie the Pooh. We're going to be seeing characters from Frozen. And like I said, Star Wars. Like the stormtroopers randomly show up, and it's the mascara stormtroopers from, you know, Force Awakens, where it looks like they got dripping mascara. Yeah. Mascara. You know exactly which kind I'm talking about. I know that from Force Awakens, exactly, yeah. And we also ended up seeing Mjolnir, Iron Man's Repulsor, Captain America's shield and Iron Man himself. Iron Man flies through during one of the scenes. Mm. So if you're a Marvel fan and you're going to Wreck-It Ralph not knowing this, you are in for a treat. That's very cool. But you're listening to me talk about this, so I'm probably spoiling this movie for you that you're going to see down the line. Spoiled treat, you Peter Melnick, you. <laughs> I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. And speaking of spoilers, by the way, the artwork, I guess, for Avengers 4 ended up getting leaked and it kind of revealed what the lineup will be for the movie. Just by virtue of who you saw in that uh, in that montage. Yeah. Uh, against some kind of dark bluish background, I think it was. The way it looks is the advertising material. And I'm actually going to be contacting a friend of mine who is involved, I guess, with the marketing of something. And I'm going to see if this is actually it because he's involved, like I said, with the Marvel marketing. And just for myself, just to get a quick verification if this is actually true. Or he knows a guy. He knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy. That's it. And he but, said yes. <laughs> but the lineup according to the artwork is Thor, Nebula, Captain Marvel, Iron Man, Rocket Raccoon, Black Widow, the Hulk in a shirt, Captain America, Iron Patriot, Ant-Man, and my good personal friend, Hawkeye. And seeing that lineup... I kind of predicted it, didn't I? Well, everybody predicted it after the snap. So. Yeah, but Hawkeye showing up. It's but the showing up part. Yes, exactly. It's kind of a given. I feel he's going to play a very big role. And like a lot of people have speculated, it only makes sense for him to do this revenge because his family dies. Okay, there you go. And if I was Hawkeye, if if you were Hawkeye and you saw something like that happen, I think you would get mad at the Grimace, wouldn't you? Uh, would you have any other reaction? I mean, besides despair? Mild discomfort. Nausea. That's, diarrhea. That's a prescription for something else. Turn to the other podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I like that they're doing that. This and two shall pass. I like knowing that he's going to potentially show up in this. If this is actually true. Yes, if. Mm-hmm. And if that is, in fact, the case, what would you do with a Hawkeye appearance? What would your decision of storyline be for this movie? Give him a decent amount of screen time. Maybe add other elements to the character that you didn't know about, perhaps. And try to... And it probably, I don't think, would take that long unless you really wanted to flesh out more of what he's been doing in his absence on the big screen. Get a story of what he was doing. Right. So you get caught up in that respect. Would you pay to see a Hawkeye movie? I would say so. Do you think he's a character interesting enough to warrant such a thing? I think it could be made to be such if if you don't personally feel so much... But he's had in the movies that he's been in, of course, Avengers movie most notably, 
decent amount of, of screen time where not only uh, just for one example in speaking to the Scarlet Witch who is just, you know, up and coming and, you know, everything is going on all around them and he's got a bow and arrow, but he's going to go out there. And if, you know, she doesn't, then he'll find her brother so they can be together. But otherwise, you're an Avenger. Right. So he's got leadership qualities in there and he gets to, you know, have more lines and be able to express who he is. His character can come out some more. And think about it, too. He did have leadership quality in West Coast Avengers because he headed that team out west or Avengers West Coast, depending on your preference. What is your preference for that, Eddie? I think it was West Coast Avengers to begin with. Then they decided to go Avengers West Coast. My filing is still under W. For Eddie Wilson. <laughs> Wilson, comma, Eddie. Come on. Now, I don't I I like knowing that a Hawkeye movie is a possibility down the line. Right now, until unless he dies in the movie, which spoiler not spoilers, fingers crossed doesn't happen. Yeah. A Hawkeye movie would be fun if adapting the right kind of storyline. I feel the Matt Fraction, David Aha or Aja, I believe it's Aha apparently. Spell it. A J A. I would go to Aja. Well, what about Asia with uh, Stilly Dan? Well, uh, eh, that came first, so maybe times have changed. The pronunciation can go different. Well, the time they are changing. What? No, moving right along. Moving right along. Please, please do your Fozzie for that one. Ah, thank you. Frog and a Sudabaker. Funny. But... What was that? Warm up, warm up for Waka Waka. Woman, that's Animal, the drummer from the Muppet Band. Now stop. No, Doctor Teeth and the. Uh, that's the band, Doctor Teeth and the Electric Something. Probably the Electric Ha Ha Ha. Yeah. yeah, the Electric fill in the blank. <laughs> that sounds painful. If you put your finger in the socket, yes, it would be. See that make, makes sense actually. Now, Eddie, on the topic of movies from Marvel, of course, James Gunn actually announced this week that writing of the script for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is now underway. Yes, and I saw that. I'm really happy he announced it with a selfie of himself. I saw that, yes. So we got to see potentially Adam. I, I think he could make a decent Adam Warlock. Yeah, okay. Get his uh, skin tone to be... Uh... Tar- tarnished, bronze, bronze-ish, like perhaps bronzy, bronson-ish, even. Bronson-ish. Oh, this boy. ain't over. No dice. Mm. Hey, it's a good, it's a good bronson. You got to admit that. Well, let them make hey, up the pelly. Handle that. Hey, pelly. How does Bronson like his drinks? No ice. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Anyway, yeah. So the movie is currently being written what would you want to go for for a storyline if this is the final quote unquote lineup of the original Guardians their last hurrah what could be a good story I'm feeling we're getting Adam Warlock in this movie yeah because uh, that it's be... been said number four of the Avengers will not be featuring Warlock it's been said uh, as if well at this point we're to believe it they're, they're all saying the Russo brothers have okay. said it I believe Lord Feige has said it Okay. 
then yeah, that would just make sense because that's a loose thread that you want to connect to something. And Guardians would be the best way, I think, to do that. Keep a um, cosmic theme, like I think you said in, in just the previous, the immediate previous podcast. Keep that going uh, when you brought up the topic of who the next big bad would be, big baddie. Right. And you went with Annihilus and I went with the Beyonder. Going that way with Guardians again, I think, would be, would be a good way to proceed. And... I can't think of any... Well, you know who else now? Okay. Now I think of some character or a char- group of characters that could be incorporated, and that would be the Nova Corps. And or Nova himself. I would like to see John C. Riley and Glenn Close return, because to be honest, they did a really good job involving themselves with the Nova Corps. No question. As well as Peter Serafinowicz. Mm-hmm. And just... Like, I, I think make them appear in the movie and then build it into their own Nova movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But don't force them. Don't twist their arms so much. You will appear in this movie. They've done like very subtle, you know, introductions to these characters and then they get their own things. Yeah. And Eddie also speaking of Marvel studios in general, we're actually going to be getting this week, the first episode of cloak and dagger over on Freeform this Thursday, June 7th. And as of this recording, June 6th on a Wednesday, we live in a pre-Cloak and Dagger world. For now. We may be able to jump back. No, we're not going to do that. We can't. We don't, well, it's we, just a jump to the left. We don't, uh, Really? You're going to go with the no-neck guy from Rocky Horror? <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Introducing TV's newest dynamic duo. So begins the review and TV guide for Freeform's Marvel Comics drama. Uh, it's New Orleans teens Tandy Bowen. Marlins. Who is played by Olivia Holt, described as a pickpocket, and Tyrone Johnson, real name Aubrey Joseph, a preppy jock, they're calling him. And uh, each endured uh, PTSD from losing a loved one long ago. So uh, they, they say that they are going to literally bump it to each other and uh, ignite these untapped powers. Her power being casting these deadly beams of light, and he can sli- slip that is undetected through time and space. Eddie, what I would like to know is, with the upcoming Cloak & Dagger series, how much experience do you have with the characters? I probably have... Read and I'd have to go back to refresh the memory banks. Most of the times they've appeared now, whether it was, and I'll get the chronology mixed up, but it's 80s for sure. Oh, yeah, they, they made had, their first appearance in Spectacular Spider Man. That's where I know them from first and foremost. And then they got their own four issue miniseries. There was also, I believe, a, graph, a Marvel graphic novel and other appearances in, in other books, of course. Which others, like you know, escape me. But so I have a general idea of how they interact with each other. I just didn't, you know, the way the this review framed it as being, you know, slipping undetected through time and space and meaning. I just assumed it was going into darkness. Whoever got enveloped in the folds of cloak and their sanity may have been at risk. But I thought part of what his ability uh, entailed was that he had this hunger that he would need to have filled and daggers beams daggers of of light would help feed that hunger right so you know and there's a couple of themes going on here 
that you can interpret. Do they come from street level, from uh, you know drug-infested beginnings, origins, neighborhoods, all that? And maybe drugs, if you go on that route, had to do with them getting these abilities, awakening you know the chromosomes or whatever in their DNA along those lines. Right. But uh, but time and space, I didn't quite equate with with cloak. Someone could go in, fall into cloak, and perhaps you know go you know bat crazy. And not, well, you can uh, say it, and I'll just reverse that, Eddie. Oh, well, you don't have to. If you if you make it now, if you reverse it, it's going to sound bad. Oh yeah, it could be the worst thing you ever heard, if not already. But going into cloak's darkness, within total absence of light, could probably you know make somebody get a little wonky. off off their wonky, off their rocker. John Rock and the have it player. not be oh yeah, and have it not be you know drug or artificially induced. So, you know, there's that, and apparently they you know need to be with each other to help themselves coexist and or survive. So I have some knowledge of cloak and dagger, not a, a full every iota, but enough to get me by. I think. Do you feel that cloak and dagger could be a big deal in regards to the casual viewers? Yes, they can be. First of all, you are pairing up two races, and that's the first chord that can be struck, I believe, because they're interacting with each other. It's more of a common thing now to have a, quote, interracial couple in this way. Yeah. This goes to, you know, it's a watered-down version, so to speak, because it's of a comic nature and came out in the comic book, so it wasn't real-life type of thing. The, The first interracial thing wasn't that the Star Trek episode. Yeah, of, with, of Uhura, with Uhura, Uhura and Kiss. Yeah. And so that was a big deal in the 60s. It's to the point now where it's passe and commonplace. But it does have that, I think, foundation of, hey, you've got a black male and a white female, and they're interacting with each other, and they're helping each other survive and, and cope with their abilities and uh, trying to, I think, do the right thing. But part of that is going to be reacting and defending themselves for, from people who do not understand what they are and who they are. So you're going to have that kind of a, of a conflict. Just like the, the um, discussions that have gone on for why the X-Men were, were that way. It was a, sto- a social statement of the 60s and, and go that way, but maybe that'll happen when we, if we get to the X-Men movies. But yeah, they, they have relevance, I believe, and they can be worked into, I, uh, I think, becoming somewhat, if not full, commonplace. Oh yeah, cloak and dagger. They are there. You know, they can become regular discussion topic. And on the topic of cloak and dagger, a brand new cloak and dagger series just got released on Comicsology. It was almost guerrilla style because, like, you know, it's a book by Dennis Hopeless and David Messina, and like they just randomly threw it on Comicsology. And if you want to read that, give it a read. It's, mm-hmm. I believe, you know, three ninety nine or whatever, you know, digital. But hey. It's it's cool. Yep. Cool as a cucumber. Potentially. But, you know, you, you might leave the cucumber out for a little bit. Cool and on ice. Ice, ice, Eddie. <sighs> Word to your mother. Ding, 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 da ding, ding. Yeah, I know. <laughs> ding, 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 da ding, ding. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. Ed, Ed, baby. I tried, guys. I tried oh, with that one. Yeah. 
You did your best and you failed. Why? The lesson Why? here is Why? never try. Never. There is no try. <laughs> now, guys. So. And gals. Now, guys and gals. Thank you. <laughs> now, guys and dolls. The topic matter at hand is Spider-Man. Spider-Man from 2002. <laughs> you like Spider-Man? <laughs> Your sorry. eyes went I'm so sorry. wide for yes, that. Yes, bug-eyed. It's appropriate. <laughs> Well, it's an arachnid, Eddie. It's a bug. They bug you. He's a menace. He's a thief. He's a criminal. Now, before we actually get into the discussion of the movie itself, let's do a little bit of a backstory with the Spider-Man film rights. Over the the decades, it was originally going to be done by Canon Films. And the idea, once again, as we mentioned in, I believe, our Spider-Man Homecoming or Civil War episode... Spider-Man was going to be apparently a horror movie at one point, mm. starring a character called Dr. Zork, who turns a guy into a human spider, because Galan and Globus of Canon Films had no idea what the hell they bought. Yeah, I guess they didn't, right? So the they, only thing I could relate to that would be when, with a Morbius storyline where he grew another four arms and he did become uh, yeah. a, a, a grotesque-like. And... They ended up, you know, not doing the movie, went over to another company. I believe it went over to Sony at that point. The and, one and only. And that's where it's been ever since. But James Cameron was actually supposed to originally write and direct the Spider-Man movie in the 1990s. And if you go online, you can read the script that he had done. And it's a very strange take on the character in that... They drop F-bombs quite a bit in the movie. I believe okay. Mother Effort gets thrown around. The biggest F-bomb. Yeah, and mm-hmm. just surprising, you know? All right, so they're you know making it more of an adult thing right off the bat, and maybe... I mean, you can Cameron... get away with it in a PG-13 rated movie. You can now. I don't know about the 90s. When did the PG-13 come out? Well, PG-13 was in the 1980s, which I believe was either Ghostbusters or one of the Indiana Joneses. Ghostbusters. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Point of reference taken. I don't know if the way you're describing it, it being such a departure from what we know as Spider-Man, Cameron may have been treating the character as more adult, throwing the F-bombs in there, the language, uh, or didn't know what he had gotten either as much, or maybe he had knew a little more about it and was going to go in a different direction. Now, let me ask you, because recently... James Cameron has, you know, issued, you know, his complaints about the comic book movies. He said that because he got hosed over with that Spider-Man script, didn't he? I'm going with what you're telling me, so yeah, I didn't that makes really know, sense. have any prior knowledge. All right. Like, he's maybe jealous that, you know, he couldn't get to do his movie, so now he's going to take it out on them. Who knows, maybe down the line, I mean, uh, there was a point where I think he was quoted as saying, you know, he couldn't do what he wanted to do at whatever time, so he waited. And however many years went by, and then the circumstances, the time was right for it to happen, and he was able to do that. And if you have the luxury of being able to wait, then then that's what you do. And Tom's Petty said it best, the waiting is the hardest part. Yes, he did. He sang it, but, you know. <laughs> But <laughs> thank you, Tom. You're welcome. We miss. I'm you. not. He said it through me, Eddie. I was his vessel. I'm sure he did. 
But then we ended up getting the movie to go over to Sony and have Sam Raimi direct it. And in the early 2000s, it was announced that he would be directing, writing, I believe writing and directing. I only saw his name in the opening credits as director. So I could have missed it maybe in the in the closing credits. I did recall seeing at the beginning executive producers Avi Arad and Stan Lee. And because I'm a consummate professional, according to Wikipedia, David Coep, K-O-E-P-P, Coop, Coop, Cope, Cope. Sure, hey, I like that one. David Cope is the one who wrote the screenplay for Spider-Man. And it was directed by Sam Raimi of the Evil Dead trilogy. And Sam is, when you think about a superhero movie, he's not the first person you're going to think of to be a director for this stuff, at least back then. Mm. With his prior experience, the only, the closest thing he had was Darkman with Liam Neeson. So I can understand why you would go with him based on that. But Darkman wasn't a big hit. And the most famous thing at that time for him was the Evil Dead trilogy. Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness with Bruce Campbell. But when you watch this movie, Sam is a damn fine choice for this. His usage of different camera angles, different shots, different action styles, they lend themselves very well to this movie. I just think of when you say that the different angles that if you were to be in the behind the eyeballs of Spider-Man, then you're going to want to have different views and angles and so on. Oh, yeah. Whether you're mounting your photograph, your camera to take pictures of Spider-Man to sell, to make a living, or not. It's a living. Mm-hmm. I like Sam as a director for this because also you're getting the very rapid movements for some of this. And when I say that, what I mean is the quick changes to different shots. For example, like when we get the part of in Spider-Man 2 that we're going to see next episode, you see the rapid fire scene in the hospital room with Dr. Octopus. And that heavily reminded me of the birth of the mechanical hand in Army of Darkness for Bruce Campbell. Oh, okay. And it's quick. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Mm -hmm. Just rapid fire. But... It's rapid fire in the sense that it stays for a second, then goes to the next one. Stays, goes to the next one. Stays, goes to the next one. And you're not losing anything if you are like me and did not see Army of Darkness, but you just recognize that technique. It's very rapid, but it's very fr- it's very frantic. But it's also gives you time to process what you see. It's very almost yeah. like an assembly line. Like that. I love it. And again... He was a damn fine choice for this movie. Now, we also, for this film, we get the portrayal of Peter Parker, Spider-Man, with Tobey Maguire. And Eddie, Tobey, with a lot of people, people love this movie, but they look at it with nostalgic glasses, unfortunately. Mm. He's the be-all, end-all Spider-Man to them, but I feel he's not perfect. Much like Andrew Garfield, who we will cover one day. You know, he wasn't perfect either with this stuff. No, I think at the time that we had this come out, yes, Toby was Spider-Man, you know, and it may have helped that, like me, having not having seen Toby in other movies, you just got him, boom, there he was, and starting off right away with, I guess, a little different take, and some movies do this, 
by starting off with his voiceover. Who am I? You sure you want to know? Getting into it that way and going towards the end more than anything else, the final graveyard scene, cemetery scene of doing a voiceover and for all that he's done and, you know, that whole stuff that he does toward there and then he wraps it up and answers his own question at the very end. I thought Toby was a great choice. There are discrepancies I'll get into later that I have. They're just a far cry from the comic book, but perhaps well, this is how it was going to to work. I, you know, let's get into some of those the mm-hmm. discrepancies. Like I'll I'll go with my grievances with his portrayal first. He to me did not get the quippiness, but it's not his fault because it's more the writing, more of the script. Right. He didn't have those delight. He wasn't given those lines to deliver. But no, in some cases, I disagree because they were there. I mean, following along the comic book line, getting into the wrestling ring to make money to impress the girl, Mary Jane, for to get himself a car and, and you know, quips to the wrestler he's in there with. Uh, oh, that's a oh, nice and, outfit. Eddie, Did your husband get it for you? Eddie, you're just saying a wrestler. I mean, I come know, on. I know. You got to show respect to the late, great Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, uh-huh. First name Macho, last name Man. Yeah, read the boots, uh-huh. Dig it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I loved seeing that part of Spider-Man's, you know, story, you know, told on the big screen. And... It did. It, of course, it's it's cheesy. There's going to be a lot of this movie that is very cheesy. Yeah, absolutely. But it's fun in a way. It's endearing. You go yeah. with it. Oh yeah. And and I don't know if you either physically or mentally roll your eyes and go, "Oh, I can't believe they did or they said yeah. that." You may, but you go with it. You keep you let it you let it keep evolving and and have fun with it because that's what movies are—an escape. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, like I said. That's like my major qualm, the quippiness of the character. But I'll get to my positive once we get to our positives of Toby's portrayal. Eddie, what is your discrepancy of the character? The first one that really stands out the most, and I'd have to keep thinking for anything to follow, but just when you saw the close-up of Peter's hands when he's in the alley and and has pincers, uh, just extensions of his hands come out because I guess suction cups weren't really going to cut it that he could uh, stick to walls and climb walls. They look like mini mini uh, saws, sort of, when you was zoomed in on them. I can see that, but I mean, they need to have a grip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the fact that he, it's an extension of his own physical person was a little not what I was going to hope to see. Then, of course, you follow up with being able to shoot a web from literally his wrist. Well, is he strong? Listen, bud. Hey, he's got radioactive blood. That's exactly right. Now, can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. It's just a ceiling, Eddie. Hey, there. There goes the Spider-Man. I mean, there's multiple Spider-Man things in this room, Eddie. Because we keep saying it. I mean, they're they're stationary, too. They're not really going anywhere. That's a good thing. Eddie, can I take one home with me? I don't think so. Okay, good. So then it wouldn't be going anywhere, would it? Semantics, Eddie. Semantics. <laughs> it's a good class that I took in college. What, Spider-Man? Semantics. Oh, good. So how are you? <laughs> the same as I was. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Since before you asked. Okay. Now, 
I, I would say, yeah, another discrepancy for myself, I'm not a fan of the concept of the fluid coming out of his wrist. I'm not a fan of that. And it's gross, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah. And it just doesn't work for me. I, I'm just not a fan. And that is a very common complaint about the character version, you know, the Sam Raimi version. Because if we're trying to tell the Spider-Man story, you should include that, hey, this kid made his own webbing. He yep. learned. He's smart. He's got the brains. And we get that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Tom Holland's portrayal. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Andrew Garfield as well, correct? Andrew Garfield created his own uh, web fluid. Yes, he did. He came up with a mixture and, yeah. And I remember when those movies came out, I was in college and I was talking to a friend of mine and he was raised on the Sam Raimi version. And he goes, oh, I think it's terrible. It's a real disservice to the character. He needs the you know fluid to come out of himself. He didn't know. Yeah, he never knew. And I explained, there I'm like, actually... Him making his own fluid is a much better version because, hey, guess what? We're going to have that one moment in the movies or even, you know, a television show where he makes the fluid and mid-swing runs out. What do you do, Spidey? What do you do? Gravity takes over. You fall. And that's inevitably going to happen regardless. And in the comic books, same thing. Oh, ran out of web fluid cartridges. But you, you are also taking away from the Peter Parker character by... Eliminating the part that he's brilliant. He's a very smart student, uh, science whiz, science major, and knows his chemistry and creates these. Just like he designs his costume, which does stay true for the most part in the first Spider-Man movie. I would say they remain true in almost all renditions. Yeah. And like we'll see bits and pieces of the Spider-Man costume change over time and like... Again, the Tom Holland one. Yeah. Now we have the arm webbing. You never see that anymore. No, they were probably taking probably taking away from the fact that he looked like a flying squirrel. I don't know. Hey, but it looks cool. But it does look, yeah. Or the the oh, the technology, the CGI wasn't quite in place for that component. Perhaps you put a thing under an arm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you do have one of those Spider Men that that's kind of glaring at you from from behind you on the bookshelf. Hello, Spidey. Yeah, he's there. With the underarm webbing. Now let's get into our part of the positives of, you know, Toby's portrayal. I feel he was a great Peter Parker. He's the shy, geeky kid who loves his aunt, and he'll do anything to make sure she's safe. And he cares about the ones he loves. I love that. I love that about the character because it is what remains true. And out of all of the people who have played Peter Parker, that is where, you know, Toby nailed it. You don't really see the element of how much care Peter has for those around him in Tom Holland. You know, you don't really get that. And no, Andrew Garfield, he was just too cool for everything, even though he was a geek. Go figure that one out. It was cool to be a geek later on in this in that incarnation of Spider-Man. So, and you know, and the music went along with that. So, I think in a future. Spider-Man, like when that one comes along, came along, you incorporated music into the character in general, and maybe maybe you got a fuller, well-rounded portrayal. Because in this one, in the first Spider-Man movie, not so much with respect to anything music-oriented. You know what? He was too smart for listening to music. That wasn't his thing. He'd have his head in a book. 
instead. I mean, what else would you say is the benefits of this version of the character? Spider bite improves sight. Spider bite increases muscle mass and vision. Right. That's right. I said that. Sight, vision, same difference. Well, I'm, ta- I'm talking about to- with Toby's portrayal and everything. What do you feel are the best things? Not, not what the spider bite does. <laughs> I know. I'm just I'm always going with the pluses. And the biggest electron microscope in the eastern seaboard. <laughs> well, it's there from the beginning. I mean, listen, 32,000 types of spiders. And That's a fi- lot of spiders. And 15 super spiders, which you could stop right there and go off and say, well, no, there's 14 because one got away. <laughs> but what, you know, what if you go back and say, hey, whatever happened to those other 14 super spiders? Ah. Somebody stepped on them. Think about that. They stayed in their respective environments. Maybe they, they got stepped they on. They didn't Eddie. get out. They yeah, got okay. stepped on. Sorry. Deleted scene. They if, got stepped if on. If the whole museum, if the whole place got destroyed, maybe. But that would be it. No. This Spider-Man... I think, was kind of leaps and bounds. No pun intended. Oh, it definitely was. Not oh, there were lots of leaps. Step on that moment. That's right. An improvement over what we had seen before. I mean, usually, of course, it was just the animated stuff. And the live action one from the, the 1970s. And the live action one, but, you know, definitely... All right, yes, it's laughable to see what that Spider-Man looked oh, like. Oh, boy, is it. But that was 1978, thereabouts, and this is what you had to work with then. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure it would be kind of cool, I'm thinking on the tangent now, if you could find that Spider-Man costume to dress up in with the, the screen mesh eyes. Hey, give someone time. And, you know, probably a, a heavier type of Material that would, you know, comp- comprise, compose the, the costume itself. Right. That'd be kind of funky. I mean, talk about a retro Spider-Man costume. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Why not, you know, because they... But listen, there's a, here's another one I'm thinking of, too, that may be overlooked. If you were not growing up in the 70s and these episodes of the children's Telev- television network program, The Electric Company, e- that had Spider-Man in them. And his thought balloons would pop up as to what he was saying periodically. But I remember that. I have to remember and probably go back and look to see how he was, you know, dressed right. in that particular cut. Co- because I think you only saw him as Spider-Man, who didn't say anything. Why? Well, because you couldn't see his mouth move, I guess. And they didn't want you to know what Spider-Man sounded like. Right. Muffled voice because of the mask or otherwise. So there's that component, which I totally hadn't thought of until now, but the electric company. He. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I know. Sorry, hey, I, you guys. I always love the Electric Company theme song. There's just something innocent and, you know, just great about it yeah. that works. Yeah. I'll have to show you the Electric Company album that I have down here. Is it the Spider-Man one? No. Wow. That's really... I, that intrigues me. Like, <laughs> the funniest thing is whenever I'm here, I see Eddie's, you know, collection, the Pantheon of Marvel. But when it's stuff like that, that just catches me off guard. Like, it's... Obscurity and just coolness of it. I like that. It's kind of a mix of both. Yep, yep. Now, every good hero will, of course, need a good villain. And we get that in the form of the Green Goblin. Metallic Green Goblin. I like Green Goblin in this movie, but I also feel he really chews the scenery. Oh, boy. If, If scenery was an edible thing, Willem Dafoe would never be hungry. 
That man, I, I will always love Willem Dafoe because there are times he's an amazing actor and times he's so much of a ham that J. Jonah Jameson gave him away as a gift. <laughs> okay. You're welcome for that reference. Yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. <laughs> On the flip side, I'm not much of a fan of the Green Goblin costume in this because when you look at the, some of the scenes in this, and someone said this once, and it always stuck with me, watching the Goblin Spider-Man fights in this movie, it almost felt like watching somebody play with action figures. Okay, Sure. The non-movable mask, which I get it. It's a mask. How is the mask supposed to move? It's his face. That's not his That's his face then. No. Prosthetics, maybe, people. I don't know. But there's actually, if you look online, the original test footage of the Green Goblin mask, which had the purple hat thingy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those exist. And this is like 2000, 2001, you know, as they were getting ready for this movie. And they realized, eh, we really don't want to do this. It kind of looks hokey. Yeah, it would be if it looked more like a nightcap. But unfortunately, he looks like a ja- Jaguar character. He's going to, you know, fight maybe the Power Rangers in the 1990s. We don't know. Throwback. I don't know. But I'm just looking, you know, as we record every time, we'll watch the movie, and the movie's currently playing in the background with the Spider-Man Gobby f- scene. And it is, it's a cool-looking costume. The mask is really cool. But why would you make it look like just a naked green elf running around? Well, now he's covered also. Please don't even go there. I I just feel execution of a villain, in terms of appearance, it's 50-50. Like I said, the mask is really cool looking. Yeah. And I'm actually surprised that there's no cosplayers out there who do goblin like this. Yeah, there's not many goblins, I think, in general that I've seen, whether green or hob version. I've seen a number of Green Goblins, but they're always, you know, comic accurate. And, yeah, I I like it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I really yeah. like the Green Goblin. I feel in the pantheon of Spider-Man villains, Goblin is definitely up there. You know, to the point where he really is Spider-Man's greatest villain because he knows who he is. That's what I was going to say. And he's the first one that found out. So that's leverage against him. And it happened, what, quite by accident, I remember reading in, and again, growing up in the 70s with Dynamite Magazine, a little Q&A about Spider-Man, the origins, and so on. I was hoping it was a Jimmy Walker magazine. Not Dynamite. Dynamite. The company that brought you Bananas Magazine as well. Scholastic, I believe. And the uh, I think the, the reason was uh, having having... Spider-Man or Peter Parker's senses maybe were somehow dulled. Right. So he didn't detect there was, quote-unquote, danger in, in the area. But it might have been in, a, in an alleyway where Green Goblin saw Peter going to his street clothes and said something to the effect of, to himself, if nothing else. So the amazing Spider-Man is nothing but a, a teenage Peter Parker. Right. To that, to that effect. So big story twist when that first happened, for sure, before Gwen Stacy's demise. And what a demise that was. Before the other snap, there was this one. Too soon, Eddie. You knew it was coming. No, I didn't. (laughs) Eventually. Well, especially for her. (sighs) Look what you're making me do. Uh, Look how you're making me talk. Stop it. That hurts, Eddie. That hurts. It sure does. 
especially for Gwen. Too soon? No, we're there. Well, I mean, it was pretty fast. We've arrived. That was pretty soon. Yes. To snap. Yes, anyway, yes. Mm-hmm. her neck, she broke her neck. Snap. Anyway. Wow. All right. On top of that, we're also getting, in this movie, the relationship between Peter and his aunt, Aunt May. Now, we've discussed this in the past on our Spider-Man Homecoming episode with the portrayal by Marissa Tomei. I love her portrayal because she's more accurate to what a aunt of a 15-year-old boy would look like. You know, the age and everything. Now, the actress who plays Aunt May in this movie, Eddie, was her name? Rosemary Harris. There we go. I knew you would know that offhand. You just happened to. Consummate professional, sir. She, while I disagree with the idea of having the character be that age, it is accurate to the comics. And the level of emotional connection between the two characters is very prevalent, with her performance especially. Mm -hmm. And doing so really helps. I love it. I think she was a perfect choice to play Aunt May in this version of the character. Yeah, especially when it's the first version of Spider-Man that you want to not be disruptive and maybe, you know, quote-unquote disrespectful to the to the age factor that this is the way it was in the comic books and I've said it on a previous podcast, so you go with it and this is, here's what it is, here's how it's established. You don't delve and tear apart and dissect why is she so much older than you know, and Uncle Ben also than, than Peter? And you go with the way the comic had originated. You stay true to form. You, you do it homage that way. Right. And then, of course, as times go on, there's other thought processes. And, you know, then you have the, the, the other hand, the hot Aunt May. And I like hot Aunt May. Yes, I knew that. We all like hot Aunt May. Mm-hmm. But I feel she was a great choice for the character and benefited the most yeah absolutely you also have kirsten dunce playing the role of mary Mary jane Jane watson and it actually led many people over the years i believe this one as well as the animated series to believe that the first love interest for peter parker is mary jane that's not the case obviously Brady brandt then gwen stacy then mary jane because the third time's the charm yeah and the third time being the charm that's when I feel it entered the pop culture subconscious of her being the best relationship because, hey, they got married eventually. Yep, that is and correct. starting out with Mary Jane instead of Gwen Stacy, it's an interesting choice, but a, a great one at that. Yeah, you're also looking at, in terms of personalities, I'd say pretty much complete polar opposites. And, oh, yeah. And the, the old adage holds up that opposites attract Hey, two steps forward and three steps back. I know. I fell right into that one. DJ Scat Cat. Paula Abdul, yeah. Are you doing a macho man? Well, he did on a Tonight Show episode when he was dating Paula Abdul. Macho man was dating Paula Abdul? At least for the papers and for the press. Yeah, sure. I did not know that. Oh, step into a Slim Jim. (laughs) With the decision of Kirsten Dunst, she is a perfect fit visually for the character. Hmm. You know, the fiery red hair the face, the everything. She was great. Go get him, Tiger. <laughs> that threw, that uh, they dropped into later with her character development. Uh, gotta go, Tiger. As she was about to be assaulted by a couple of the street guys, which led to the rainstorm, which led to that upside down in the rain kiss. Most mm-hmm. memorable. 
which, by the way, is one of the questions we got on our Facebook page. Yeah. And we did get a few. We well, we got a number of questions for this up. episode. Go figure. Go, Web. Fly. Up, up, and away. Shazam. Shazam. There's a drop. Now, one of the questions in regards to the kiss scene between Kirsten and Toby came from Melissa Souter Wilmot. Upside down Spider-Man kiss. Sexiest kiss in cinema? And she says, yes, it is. I'm kind of inclined to agree. It's one of the most iconic kisses in film history. Yeah, no question. And who knew by seeing it the way they did it that you could lock lips so well and effortlessly, it seems, in in that way. Yeah. And then another question also came from Eddie McKenzie. Could McGuire and Dunst have any less chemistry? I'm actually going to disagree with him on that. I feel they definitely clicked. It was an awkwardness, but that's what that relationship is. Yeah, the absolutely. awkward, like, uh, geeky guy and the really, really hot girl. Sure. Who'd have thought they were going to, first of all, talk to each other like she'd be looking down at him kind of thing. And then for it to turn into what it did. So, yeah, less chemistry. I don't, yeah. That doesn't quite jive with the way I kind of saw it. I, I do feel, though, they had good chemistry because when you think of the Peter Parker-Mary Jane relationship, that is one of the first things I think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of especially with, with the movie. And also A lot it, slower doing that development, of course, with respect to the comic book timeline. And also Eddie asked if this is the scene with the uh, rain and the upside-down kiss, if that was my first exposure to a wet t-shirt contest. Yes, Eddie, it was. Wink, wink, no. nudge, nudge. No. Anyway. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we shouldn't even we'll go there because yeah, there's, other, there's, there's others that I've seen cinematically. Live, <laughs> not so much. Just a sheltered, you know, life. I definitely like, though, the relationship between the two characters. And they 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 hit it off. Yes, they play very well off each other. Even when they're out in, the ba- in their respective backyards talking about what they're going to do with themselves later in life, it's pretty casual. They can comfortably talk to each other. As I believe equals so, or on the street when she comes out of the diner that she's working at. And with the first time that you hear, don't tell Harry. Who, by the way, portrayed by James Franco. Again, another character. He doesn't have the stupid Osborne hair, but he does have the sense of whiny entitledness. Yeah. And when you want to do a proper Osborne, Harry Osborne especially... That's kind of one of the keys of the character. Yeah, it is. You want to keep in in line with with the uh, the characteristics of yeah. the, the personality of the character. You got it. I really enjoyed who he was in this movie because if you do him, you have to do that. You can't do it any other way. Mm-hmm. The almost backstabbery of the two characters, you know, that we're going to see in future films. That again, it plays very well with Harry's character and the awkward shyness of Peter Parker, who doesn't want this stuff to happen. He doesn't want to be the wedge, but you know, in his own friendship. Right. Mm-hmm. So casting Franco, excellent choice. Absolutely excellent choice. And speaking of excellent choices, one that a lot of people out there clamor to, even now with the recastings in the MCU, they want to still see it. J.K. Simmons playing the role of J. Jonah Jameson. And 
if ever a person was born to play a character, J.K. was born to play Jonah. Nailed it. I like Ant Man going through the keyhole. I cannot think of a better actor. And while there have been fan castings where I'm just like, "Ooh, I want to see that," you know, they won't happen <laughs> because those are fan castings, and Hollywood tends to want to make their own thing. They don't want to listen to every single whim. Or whimper. And it's interesting that J.K. has played the role of Jonah many times even after this. He played him on The Simpsons for crying out loud. Oh, there you go. As the editor of a a poetry journal. (laughs) So, I want poems. Poems about (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. And, yeah, I like J.K. in the role. And if you could see, could you see any other actor in these movies play that role? Nothing's coming to mind, really. He's just indelible in that. And he he just fits it so well. From the mustache to the close-cropped haircut, I, I trust my barber, you know. And just the, the whole portrayal, it just completely nails it. The whole attitude, the, the quips that he comes through with. Rapid fire. Absolutely. Because when his wife is on the phone and we're trying to get a picture for the front page and, yeah, that kind of thing. It's just spot on. I would definitely say if we ever see another role of Jonah, it has to be J.K. Simmons. It can't be anyone else. No. And I know right now he's playing the role of Commissioner Gordon over in the DCEU. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Why can't he be the first person to be in both? Yeah, he well. should be in the MCU. He should be one of those guys. I understand, you know, Marvel wants to do things their way. They want to have their say. But when you have a guy who essentially made the role iconic and you can't see anyone else play that role, mm-hmm. give J.K., you know, the mustache. Give it back to him. Yeah, no question. I mean, he could grow it back. It's his thing. It's, you know, they can't, like, you know, own your own facial hair. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, since you mentioned it, especially... <laughs> and in regards to other characters that are very iconic to the Spider-Man mythos, just like J. Jonah Jameson, we have Uncle Ben, who I think some of you have might have heard of. And Briefly, but enough to know. Remember. In this movie, who is he portrayed by? Cliff Robertson. And that's a very, you know, memorable actor who plays him. The joke is during one of our takes, we couldn't figure out who was the actor who played him. Sure we could. Done. But out of all of the portrayals of Uncle Ben that we've seen on film, all two of them, Cliff did a fantastic job, and I feel he was the best one out of the two that we've seen. Would you? Are you inclined to agree? I think so, yes. you Just like with Rosemary Harris as Aunt May, you're establishing a senior, and in the given role with the lines that they are tasked to perform and execute, done very well. Driving the car from the 70s, just a big spacious car that was probably easy to work on if you were so mechanically inclined. And, you know, again, the whole portrayal thing of it. I think you saw a little bit more of Uncle Ben and what he did, in in a sense, than you ever did in the comic books. Right. Which is to his credit. I just feel the idea of an Uncle Ben in these movies, it's great to see him. And 
it's not as hardcore as we've been, you know, led to believe over the years that, oh, Uncle Ben's going to die. Uncle Ben's going to die. Oh, yippee, we can see Uncle Ben die again. You know, yeah. all the reboots and everything. Mm-hmm. It's only happened twice, people. <laughs> but I am happy that in the MCU, we don't have to see this man get shot again. No, exactly. Right. We know that it's like, come on, let's let's move on from there. Because, again, it's one of those... The Spider-Man story now, you know, some almost 20 years later after this movie's been released, which is a weird thing to say, isn't it? This is an almost 20-year-old movie. Yeah, close. Close. It's more like, what, 16? It's still pretty close. Mm-hmm. It's And this year is like the 20th anniversary of Blade. Well, that's the first... Yeah, okay, right. right. That, anyway, so going off on that tangent, Digest but, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we now have it ingrained in us, the origin of Spider-Man. So we really don't need that, you know, Uncle Ben getting killed and this, that, the other thing. And what a cool way to implement... Kill Uncle Ben. (laughs) No, not the kill Uncle Ben part. To have the key Spider-Man mantra, phrase, come out of Uncle Ben. Yeah. Because I don't believe... How did that come about in the original comic? I think it was really just written into a panel... As part of the narration. And not, then retconned not, as like, oh, Uncle Ben said this. Okay. Possibly, yeah. But in the in the original, I believe, telling just that it was a lesson to be learned. Right. That with great power comes great responsibility. So it was just written into a paragraph on the top or a bottom of a panel. Yeah, one page. of the narration boxes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And now it's, yeah, it's a part of what Uncle Ben is. And like, oh, some dead guy said it once, you know? I know you're going through changes. Not like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, he he was, of course, being the first, he did knock it out of the park as Ben Parker. Yep. And if you could see any—like, I do feel, though, while he did a great job, this is a character that can be easily replaceable. We can get a different actor to play this. Yeah. You just need a wise, older person. Sure. And I'll do a bold, you know, one. You know who would make a great Ben Parker? Oh, boy. Brian Cranston. Why not? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Because he's done serious stoic father, and also he's done very evil, you know, with like his role as Walter White on Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He can, he, he's a very good balance of both. And that's what I like about him as an actor. If we were to ever see a change of Ben Parker, throw the Cran Man something, you know? The Cran Man. The Cran Man. Now, also, Eddie, with this movie, we have to talk about the overall story. It's a basic origin story, and it is a recounting of everything that we know about the Spider-Man character, to which, you know, audiences in 2002, when you're seeing this for the first time, it's not as heavily, like I said, not as heavily ingrained in the pop culture subconscious. No, not at that point. Mm -mm. And with its overall execution, it's a great retelling of the story. It, It very much is. A lot of elements are in this that they captured, that they kept true, and did, again, homage to to the original. True to form. True to form, indeed. Although, like I said, while it's, you know, wonderfully told, wonderfully paced, this was a movie. It's a two-hour two and one-minute long with the credits. It flew by for me. Yeah, it did. I didn't know that it was two hours. Yeah. It seemed shorter. But like and, I said. Uh, no, no development yet of the Marvel trademark post-credit scene. I admit I fast-forwarded to see if there was a post-credit, if I, you know, forgot this or whatever. Nope. 
It kind of disappointed me. Not there. Although it did have one of the staples, Stan Lee, made a cameo in this film. Yes. And I believe he helps a little girl escape from, you know, something falling, debris falling during the Goblin's attack. Yeah, I think somehow I I must have blinked because I missed seeing that, that part. But yes, indeed, it was it was there in the uh, with the Unity Day that they were having, and in the deleted scene, he actually says, "Buy these glasses, just like they had in the X Men." Really? Yeah. There, if you check the, uh, I believe, gag reel and outtakes, that's one of the scenes that they have in there. That's probably on the second disc of the DVD that I, that uh, I believe so. Have. Yeah, I just had forgotten what was. What was on there? I actually recently got my hands on the Blu-ray collection of the uh, re-release recently. I, I This is one of those movies I own on Blu-ray twice because when we get to Spider-Man 3, I will be watching both the regular cut as well as the editor's cut. So I will be giving my thoughts on both versions of it for when we cover that episode. People, I'm watching that movie twice for you. You better be happy. <laughs> But that he's taking the bullet. Oh, I'm taking the symbiote belt bullet. <laughs> and shrapnel. Mm-hmm. But, you know, little references to, like in the um, wrestling scene, going for the $3,000, which turns into $100, which is total BS that, that happened. You know, you, you feel for the character, you feel for Peter, but the person who went in to fight against uh, Bonesaw McGraw in, Bonesaw. The, in the wrestling. Yeah was called the Flying Dutchman. And that's something I had forgotten. That was the character, that was Peter's character name when he went into the wrestling. He was being called, for whatever reason, the Flying Dutchman. Okay. If I remember that in the, in the origin story, that was Peter's stage name for just getting into that. And that, by the way, what you see Peter wearing, the red with the black and the whole mask except for the face covering. The human front. spider. That human sucks. Spider, that sucks, right. I've seen that costume, somebody dressed up as, as that character, which I'm like, ah, that's cool, the wrestling Spider-Man, Peter Parker. I love stuff like that. It's like the- yeah, it's original. It's, it's something you don't see all the time. That's exactly right. And with that scene, the wrestling scene, by the way, it leads to the first Bruce Campbell cameo where he's the wrestling ring announcer. Hey, freak show! I absolutely love Bruce in this role, and it leads to something that we're going to talk about in week four of Spider-Man Month, but I will tell you all when we get to that. You're going nowhere. I love seeing Sam, you know, pay respect to his close personal friend Bruce, because he, they worked as a team through the Evil Dead movies, through, like, he would always have him do cameos in all of his other movies following the Evil Dead series. And it was always nice just to see that, you know, friendship last in these movies mm-hmm. yep now also we also get to see i believe in this movie sam's brother ted ted Raimi, and ted is one of i, be- I believe ted is one of jonah's assistants the one with the glasses who in spider-man 2 okay right right because he's trying to come in and get a decision on a size of an ad a half a page or whatever charge him this or uh, give him 10 percent, about five percent discount right get out of here and just, you know, like I said, seeing the level of, I'm going to have, you know, some of my friends show up in this movie. That's that's the cool thing about <laughs> Sam. I love Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. And also, like I said, these movies aren't perfect, and they do have their cheesy moments. And I've had that with certain like parts of this, watching it again, I'm just like, I there are lines I will hear in the line delivery I will just laugh at. My personal favorite is the the teacher in the beginning saying, 
you better not, you better stop talking. I kid you not. <laughs> yes. I don't know why. On but the he, field trip, you, you you guys stop talking or whatever. And, I kid you not. Yeah, he's kind of that, that way. But that's fine. That's it's, cool. It's pretty close. What I want to bring out, too, which I had not caught on any viewing, I think, except for this most recent one. After you get the whole JJJ going, he's a criminal, he's a vigilante, he's a public menace, and, and Robbie Robertson saying, he's a hero. Then about getting a picture, somebody, and I may have been the Raimi character, says the line, if I'm not mistaken, Eddie's been on it for weeks. Really? So they That's established. Up. Yes, just in that line, the other photographer that you'll see, Spider-Man 3. Eddie Brock. Although, like they've said... I'm Eddie sensitive. Sam didn't want... It's my Eddie sense. Well, Sam did not want to do a Venom-based movie for a little while. Mm -hmm. And, well, look how that happened. Well, there's a reveal. There's a, there's a drop for you. Drop the mic for you. I will not do that here. <laughs> Please don't. That was a... Uh, Boom. We're we're both we're both microphone guys. I think yeah, well, I I saw that commercial. I'm like, no, don't drop the mic, literally. Anyone who has dropped a mic clearly has never owned a microphone. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Let's move let's go to another one. The part about Dr. Connors firing Peter. Man, talk about a unfortunate man. The guy who plays Dr. Connors in this movie was supposed to be the lizard eventually. Like he was going to be yeah. one of the villains in a future film, and then the whole franchise ended. Yeah, yeah. And he auditioned to play Dr. Connors when they were bringing the character in for Amazing Spider-Man, and he lost. How much does that hurt that guy? He's like, it's going to be my big break. I'm going to be the villain in this movie. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be a star. Yeah, nothing. It's be... over. It's done. It's crap. It's crap. Mega yeah. crap. Sorry. Those are the photos. I got to be 200 bucks for him. I mean, it's done? 300 bucks. Standard fee. I, I feel for the guy because, like, that's the most unfortunate thing that could happen to an actor. Like, you're going to be getting this major role. Nope, you're not. You know, that's right. And it's almost like that with Bruce Campbell, yeah. which, again, when we get to week four, I will tell you why that's so unfortunate. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Well, I don't know about unfortunate, but I, I was thinking about another relationship thing that is developing because Peter is so reserved and shy and all. But he even tells Harry, go ahead, talk to Mary Jane. And he winds up doing that and trying to establish a relationship. However, after that rescue from the goblin attack at the Unity Fair Festival where you have singer Macy Gray. And with, boy, talk about dating a movie with than the song, having Macy Gray. And so a one-hit wonder pretty much, you know. Um, I try to say goodbye, but I choke. Yeah, like that, Man, it's like like that rendition choked. So, oh, yeah. But a different song in the movie, but she's got her one hit to her to her name. But on the phone, then Harry talking to Mary Jane saying, hey, I want to buy you something. It'll make you feel better. I mean, that's just standard. Um, either, either you know, he's he's trying to make a valiant attempt, but it's just like, no, that's not going to work. That's not your standard. Uh, or is it your stereotypical thing thinking, oh, no, girls get something from a guy that makes him feel better? Maybe, but not in this case. Nope. You know. I know from experience. Aha. Uh -huh. Enough Take said. on me. Anyway. Sheesh. Okay. Take on me. Best music video, 1985. But. You got a moon man. Mm -hmm. Think about it, hero. That was Goblin to Spidey, of course. In, on the topic of dating things with this movie, though, you know, with going back to Macy Gray, we also have in the instance of 
this movie is a snapshot of post 9-11 America. And it's a very strange thing to see, but it also is, it's cool. Like you take that one moment in time and it's this, this movie, you know? Mm. And the biggest example of it is the, you know, New Yorkers were New Yorkers were united. They do that when they fight against, you know. On the bridge fighting yeah. against the goblin? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you you pick on one of us, you pick on all of us. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also have the one scene, which you can obviously tell this was CGI'd and everything in a, again, a post 9-11 America of him swinging around and then shows up around the flagpole. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. absolutely is. And it, it does date it a little, but it's still that interesting snapshot of that time and place. Yeah. Just to bring some, bring some uh, country united feeling patriotism. Yeah. And not overly pounding it in your face type of thing, just enough to recognize, hey, it's there and it works. And on the topic of 9-11 in this movie, they actually had to do some changes for the promotion for this movie. Sure. Because after 9-11 had happened, there was a poster, and I ended up uploading it as, on our page. Whenever we do a ask us questions about the movie you know, topic on Facebook, I will always include the teaser poster. And the teaser poster for this movie is Spider-Man you know, peeking out from the side of a building, and you see in one of his lenses the Twin Towers. And this is, we're talking about an uh, extreme close-up of just his face, correct? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was a poster that immediately after that happened, the poster got recalled, and it became a humongous collector's item. Mm. It's very hard to find, and if you can find one, you're very lucky that you have that. Yeah. And again, they also had to change the original, tra- like they had to pull the trailer out, so they had to make a brand new trailer because the trailer at the time seems so different and so bizarre. We don't see Spider-Man, but we see his webbing because he captures a helicopter in between the tw- the two towers with his webbing. Wow. See, I totally— You never saw that trailer? Never saw the trailer, never saw any teaser posters. I was lucky enough that I did get a Spider-Man— one sheet movie size poster where he's climbing up. You see, you're looking down at him. He's climbing up towards you. You have that angle climbing up the building. Do you have the poster hanging up? I don't remember. It's in the basement here. Yes. Okay. I had to. I had to make sure because I I see Silver Surfer. I see Ant Man. We're looking Winter at Soldier. the wrong wall. It's in the back back wall. You might have to take a photo for the Facebook to show because that's that's cool collectibles. I love stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I actually have to ask. You saw this in theaters, correct? Oh yeah. I remember seeing it as well, and I actually saw it. If you're a local, like you know Eddie and myself, I saw it at the original Monticello Theater. So I remember. I believe I did too. I may have gone to at least this one, if not, I'm going to say Spider-Man Two for sure. Had seen a midnight showing before they came out with the night before the release at 7 p.m. This was the 12:01 of the day of release. That's when they were doing those. So yeah, there was at least one of them that I'd seen at that time. And this movie broke records at the time. It was, I believe, sure. the biggest Memorial Day uh, movie, if I'm correct. Could could very well be without without looking that up, yeah. And just phenomenal in terms of how it did. And even to the point where if you go to a used DVD store or a thrift shop or a flea market, this is one of those movies you will see a crap ton of copies. Like A lot of people bought this movie when it came on DVD. Sure. 
myself included. I own two copies of this on DVD. Mm-hmm. I own, I believe, a full screen version because I didn't know the difference between full screen and widescreen and the widescreen version. And yeah, the one we had watching earlier was the uh, widescreen. And that's the only way to watch it, in my opinion. I believe so, yeah. But going back to all that, it was it was a cultural phenomenon. This, way, this movie came out around the same time as Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Okay. And that battle in the box office that year was really, really close. And I believe Star Wars did, in fact, beat it because it's Star Wars. You know, any yeah. Star Wars movie comes out, it's going to do gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Although Solo did not, but, hey. well, here we are. Hey. Okay. But. Keep it real. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that we were at one point in time watching a main part of the Star Wars saga go against a Spider-Man movie. And now, you know, Disney owns all this stuff. And it's Disney going against Disney. If they put them out in, in, uh, within proximity of each other on the calendar. Yeah. But amazing is one word that I probably should have just made check marks and counted because I'm going to say at least half a dozen times the word amazing is used in this movie. And then Marvel team up. <laughs> Whether, no, no. <laughs> Whether it's. Web of. It's web of. Whether it's Harry saying it. Um, or definitely at least one time Mary Jane saying it when he swings down or upside down in that rain scene before the kiss. You're amazing. I'm Thanks, Eddie. I appreciate that. Half a dozen times. Oh, you're so not welcome. Hey. And and that stuff. But there's, I don't know if it's a discrepancy now I want to bring in here uh, as we get further into the film. But when he, he Spider-Man, goes and rescues the infant from the burning building, then goes back in because it sounds like, a woman is screaming, but it's the goblin in disguise, just wearing some piece of clothing uh, over himself. Turns around, it's him. Well, maybe there was too much sensory uh, input going on that his spider sense failed him, actually, because you did see, at least in two other cases, how his spider sense was working, whether it was early in the school, in the in the hallway. And you had such things as him being able to sense... Uh, you know, a paper airplane coming down, a, 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 an insect, a fly, the, the spitball being shot, and then, of course, the fist of Flash Thompson about to hit him. Who was played by Joe Manganiello, who now plays in the DCEU Deathstroke. Okay. Did not realize. He's somebody that made the transition from Marvel to DC. and a jump. Yeah, I would say it's a very big jump. Mm-hmm. Well, not to light speed, but, you know. Well, yeah. But again... A failure of the spider sense, possibly, if you really take it apart like that and not realizing that it was the goblin in the burning building. What about my generous offer? Are you in or are you out? Is you who's out, Gobby? Out of your mind. No, 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 no. He said it with more conviction and authority and not puberty show coming through. Sorry. Out of your mind. Here's another discrepancy of after the whole incident where he does take a cut, literally, across the arm from one of those um, winged, slicing, mechanical goblin toys. Um, but seeing how the drop of blood as he's hanging from the ceiling or attached himself to the ceiling drops down onto the floor. And just for emphasis, it's, <laughs> it, it makes a little miniature splash 
and it's almost like a, a more than just a drop of blood. It's got more texture to it, and uh, and Norman actually notices it. I don't think he heard it, but maybe with him being gassed, exposed to the gas, Norman is has heightened senses also. It's cooking Perhaps. With, cooking with gas. It's on a stretch. I don't know, whatever. And then, of course, Aunt May. Aunt May, you can do that voice for her. Those eyes! <laughs> those horrible yellow eyes! Behind the bag! Oh, wait, no, that's the importance of being earnest. Is it? I think it's pretty important. Okay. And, of course, the line that Peter says, he knows who I am. And that's that's a scary thing for that kind of character, just, you know, to have that realization. Yeah. The relationship issue, again, uh, you get a little bit between Harry and Norman, and Norman saying he wants to rectify certain inequities. That's just a, just a general way to put, you know, what he wants to, to possibly do without really saying anything. The relationship with Peter and Aunt May, where she's recovering in the hospital, and she's saying, you're not Superman, you know. I'm, uh, I'm that a, one, true believers. I was hoping she'd go. You're not super hyphen man. <laughs> <laughs> and and the whole thing about how much you care because everybody else knows, and that triggers Peter to thinking, oh, OMG, calling up Mary Jane and and <laughs> can Spider Man come out to play? Right. And again, like we mentioned, New York, the New Yorkers helping helping out Spidey in that jam because do you think got to choose between holding up the Roosevelt Island ferry? Cable car and Mary Jane. Now choose. Right. Well, do you think Lil Jimmy Norton, do you think his character of, he stinks and I don't like him, you think he would have helped out Spider-Man? I don't know, but, you know, guy with eight arms. Sounds kind of hot. What's the other take on that? And how about Goblin doing a little song? The itsy bitsy spider. That's one of those, it's such a cheesy moment and it it helps it, but it's also like, you know, this movie, it can get away with it because it's got that cheese factor to it. But we get now down to that warehouse building battle and the the, the shots are in slow-mo, which I don't think it really detracted from it. And Spidey's getting the tarnation kicked out of him, whether he's losing pieces of his mask, blood spurting out of his mouth or whatever, and then again in the slow-mo and just really getting a big old whooping until Goblin says, MJ and I, we're going to have a hell of a time. And then he gets all fired up and he's able to come back. Now, do you think when he says that, it's also like a subtle reference to the idea of him killing her like like Gwen Stacy? Like, we're going to have a hell of a time. Um, That's what he does. The Gwen Stacy thing, thank you for bringing this up, comes right in when you see that Mary Jane has awoken outdoors on top of a bridge. That's, yeah. That's perfect, you know, running parallel lines or... Perpendicular, if you will. Like they did a bit of a mashup with the character. They did a bit of a mashup because I also think they didn't really plan it that well through that Gwen would show up in a future movie. No, they they had to. That would probably have been too confusing. I mean, and we'll get to it when with Spider Man 3, not only do they have too many villains in there, but they have too many other characters, perhaps. You've got Gwen, you've got MJ, and of course, you've got Harry. And Eddie. Whatever he plays, um, and Eddie. Yeah, there you go. And Sandman. And <laughs> Man, there's like nine, like, yeah, that is... Rogue's Gallery, perhaps. I'd th- go with more of a cluster something. Can't say yeah. the other word, but I'm it's a sure cluster. It you can you can swing it around, whatever. But the, the inconsistency possibly, and you eventually see through it after the first time, you have now in the final battle, Spider-Man's beaten up on Green Goblin, and he, he blurts out, Peter, Peter, wait! And he takes his mask off. It's me! And oh, him just playing possum. It's so—that is such a great scene. Changing his voice 
uh, kind of going in and out of the characters. It's split personality. You know, developing the psychosis of, of whatever it is and him saying, I've been like a father to you, which if you just stop right there and take it apart, you know, you have those two characters, Peter and Norman meeting for the first time, heard a lot about you. Oh, I read your paper. Uh, I wrote a paper on the work that you did. Meeting you know, at, I'm sort of a scientist myself. Right. And having, a, oh, you want to make it on your own steam? I can make a phone call. No, you know, you want to, I admire that. And then later at Thanksgiving, you know, another couple of interactions and scenes. And, you know, how much do you believe I've been like a father to you? No, because now you're also slamming your own son because you haven't been, at yeah. least according to the parameters of what we see in the movie, and now be a son to me now. And then, of course, he says, I have a father. His name was Ben Parker, and his voice changing. Godspeed, Spider-Man. And, of course, the Spidey sense kicks right in. The and flippy true, dip. True to form, dilly dilly even, true <laughs> to form, you know, the, the uh, blades of the goblin glider come out, and you do get an accurate, from comic to movie, death of the Green Goblin. I just love, and the, again, sim- I love the simplicity of, oh, boom. Yeah, exactly. I, I that, don't know. Well, you, you had to say something, maybe. Or even, even that, if you just kept wide-eyed, that might have been all you needed to have to have uh, Norman do. It's, fun- but then, it's funnier that way. It adds a bit of brevity to the situation. Uh, yeah, because it's a very serious thing, and, but a little brevity. But then again, oh. you know, you get the line, Peter, don't tell Harry. Yeah. That comes back again. Right. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. That's another thing altogether. Jeez. And, and then, then finally, the interactions between Harry and Peter in the cemetery. MJ and Peter in the cemetery. MJ and Peter in the cemetery is one of the most messed up scenes, in my opinion, because... The cuts, the, the, the hand with the glove on his cheek, or not, when you cut from one angle to the other, from one perspective, viewpoint. There's, so, there's so much to tell. I just feel that scene is so messed up, because... But does she know? It, does, it looks like she knows... After he leaves and says we can only be friends oh, yeah. type of thing, and she holds her hand to her mouth and, and just something dawns on her. Yeah, because then in, in the next movie, she reveals that she knows. Yeah, Spoilers I, for I next think episode. She says, I think I knew all along. Right, okay. But and, my thing is, like I said, it just bothers me because, correct me if I'm wrong, at the end, she's still with Harry, isn't she? Possibly, but when you have MJ and Peter in the hospital with Aunt May... They're breaking down a barrier, sort of, and they're establishing a relationship to the effect that they, they're holding hands, by primarily because of being upset with Aunt May's condition from the goblin attack, but then the awkwardness of when Harry comes in the room with the flowers and them separating hands, like, oh, they were doing something wrong. Yeah. But there is... The hand a, police. A developing... That's exactly right. <laughs> a developing relationship is, is starting to, to happen there. But she does come through and say that she loves Peter... So, you know, you're breaking down, and she's breaking away from Harry in that sense, if no other reason. And then, of course, you go back to Peter saying, you know, every time I try, this doesn't work. And then finally he turns away from MJ saying they really can just be friends, and this is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. And then Peter Melnick has his solo with Chad Kroger and the song Hero. A hero could save us. I'm not going to stand here and wait. Take the mic away now. I hold on to the wings of an eagle. Watch as the old fly away. Whoa. 
for the longest time. Anyway. No. And then we get the 1967 theme, which is just great. All one minute of it. Yeah. I mean... To bring it back to back to formula. No. Once again, though, like I said, this movie does such an interesting job of dating itself. The usage of the, po- you know, the post-grunge scene with Chad Kroger and Josie Scott of, you know, Nickelback and Saliva. And then the incorporation of Macy Gray. And then, like You've I said... You've also got Sum 41 in there, if you like them. Yeah, Sum 41, I believe Alien Ant Farm is on the soundtrack. And just... It's a snapshot, a time capsule of a time, and also Bother by Stone Sour, which every time I hear that song, it always makes me realize, oh yeah, this is almost 20-something years old. And You're pushing it. It was 2002. This is 19. But it's almost yeah. 20 years ago, yeah, dude. Yeah, not quite almost. We're close. Almost is a song by Bowling for Soup. You stop that. <laughs> it's not 1919, 1985. <laughs> hey, uh... Susie just hit the wall. You want to go there? <laughs> Splat. Now, let's get into the finality of all of this. Eddie, if we had to give this movie a rating out of five, what would you give it? For when it came out, for what it dealt with, for bringing this comic book character to modern time of 2002. Um, and I have to step back because what I first, now I have to remember what I first had thought about the discrepancies and not being accustomed to having to, you know, just go with the way the director did it. Uh, I, I, res- I hesitate to give it a full five, but I would say four and a half out of five. For me, I'm going to do two different versions. When I initially saw this and now, when I first saw this movie, this was the perfect personification of my favorite character. I always loved Spider-Man as a kid. And... Being obsessed with the 1994 animated series that used to air on Fox, oh my god, I get to see my favorite character on the big screen. And when I saw that movie in theaters that summer, I could not get enough of it. I loved it. I could not wait for the day it came out on DVD. And it was perfect. It was, for years, this was my favorite comic book movie ever. At the time, five out of five. And as I've gotten older, I've, you know, seen more and more comic book movies. I've also seen more movies in general. And it is a now guilty pleasure movie. It's interesting to see say that kind of thing. Guilty pleasure movie. Because yeah, it's got the it cheese is. to it. Well, yes. So, okay. If I had to give it a rating now out of five, I would go with a three and a quarter. Ouch. No, that's... But th- three and a quarter is still... It's a good movie. It's a it's a good movie where you can literally put it on 20 minutes in and still be hooked. It passes the Star Wars test, as I say. But three and a quarter is a good rating. It's not the greatest, but it has stuff in it that makes it an enjoyable movie. It's very well paced. The writing is not perfect, but it's still a fun go. And... I've always, like, I will always have a soft spot for this movie. And, again, it got it's what got me back into comics for a very brief time in the early 2000s. <laughs> okay, so for a very brief time, okay. Yeah, because, you know, school at the time and just all that stuff. Like, I then immediately fell back off. 
But I remember that when this movie was getting ready to come out, I was in my computer technology class, like a little reminiscing right now, but sitting in my computer class on Marvel.com, and they were letting you read, I believe, I think the first 20 or so issues of Ultimate Spider-Man for free on their website. Okay. So in, you know, when I would finish my assignment, I would immediately go on to Marvel.com and just read Spider-Man. And it's such a great, warm, fuzzy memory of a movie. And I say it like this. I rate the movie a three and a quarter. But in terms of nostalgia, in terms of memories, in terms of feeling good about things, perfect five. So we should go for the average on that one, I suppose. Let's do the math. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, it's it's such a great... It's a great movie to watch to get a feel of what a certain time was like. So we go from a 5 to a 3.25, which totals 8.25, which divided by 2 comes out to 4.125. I accept. But yeah, like in all honesty, from a filmmaking standpoint and just, you know, experience overall as a movie, 3.25. But the memories of it all, 5 out of 5. And it's it's the movie that introduced me to Sam Raimi, one of my all-time favorite film directors. So... I'll always have a soft spot for this movie. Now, on top of that, you know, it led to me playing the Spider-Man video game, which I was obsessed with, with Ah. the GameCube. But that's a story for another day. Now, that leads to some of the questions that we were actually asked on our Facebook page, one of which was given to us by Victoria Jane, and she asks, what did Toby think of his costume? What is the costume made out of? Spandex, knit, and... Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what Toby thought of the costume because I believe most of the time it was a stunt double working on it because he really wasn't like the flippy kind of guy, you know, whereas Tom Holland, who's an actual gymnast as well, you know, he's doing his own thing. Yeah, if you're delving into that that more so. But that's a question that I guess, you know, I don't know if anybody had had, – Well, no, besides the material, but I don't know if it it had been posed – by anyone before, so that makes it a good question. What did Toby think of the costume? You know, it had to be different than what, you know, in the movie he designed for the wrestling. Right. That I think he even had written in his notes on, and you saw it in the movie, needs more color, you know, like more, more, um, flair, (laughs) more, uh, excitement to it. Going by what Jameson had said, not besides that. Why does he hide behind a mask? That kind of thing. If, you know, whether he's being flamboyant or, but to be more colorful in that respect. And the type of material, of course, would have to have a lot of giving, stretching, and to be able to do all the things that he did do. And we were also asked by Matthew Mark Meyer, out of the four actors who've played a live-action Spider-Man, how does Tobey Maguire rate? Obviously, the original live-action Spider-Man, you got to throw him on the bottom because it wasn't that great. Like, I've seen bits and pieces of that version. Not that good. Mm. I would say, as a Peter Parker, he is tied with Tom Holland for the number one spot. Okay, yeah, because there's a delineation then, and others have, have done the same thing, is rating the Peter Parker performance and the Spider-Man performance as separate things, right? Yeah. I would say he's number three for Spider-Man, 
because it was it was a big shock to me when I saw Andrew Garfield play Spider Man and he's doing the whole oh no my one weakness knives just that wise ass that smart alecky I love that mm-hmm. and to see Toby's portrayal it just fell flat it the jokes didn't land and I feel like they needed someone funnier writing that script you know possibly yeah mm-hmm. now where Toby would be I would say number one. Tied number one with Tom for Peter Parker, number three for Spidey. Yourself? It's a tough one. I haven't really settled in on how how I would uh, how I would rate them. Yeah, could have been more joviality on on this part, but maybe they the directors were worried about it being going too much that direction. So maybe they tried to strike a balance. I don't think they forgot about things like that. You know, I don't know that time became a factor, although it's probably always a factor in character development, what things you put in and take out. And there are some things you forget about, like this this movie on, on Tangent had, I forget how many different things that were discrepancies. And again, like intimated before at the cemetery scene with Mary Jane holding her gloved hand up against Peter's cheek. And then the next shot, it wasn't there. And then back to the same angle and it was there again so little things like that apparently were kind of all over the place but i couldn't i couldn't nail commit to nailing one better than the other for its time for what it was for how he played the character he's he's up there and the same thing for the spider-man role there was some cheesiness to it but yeah that's how the comics were would you say though this is a movie so many people say their Spider-Man is Tobey Maguire. Would you say it is, though, the nostalgia glasses that, you know, people are wearing? Like, this movie was something from when I was a kid. Like, this will always be my version of the character. He was the best one. I can absolutely be in that camp of, of saying of of nostalgia saying that because this is the one that started it. Yeah. In this, you know, modern time. Although I'm, I'm guilty of doing that with Christopher Reeve. As his portrayal of Superman, I will always say he is the best one. But I'm with you on that. I'm yeah, I'm good with that. But the thing is, this he was the very first one in terms of you know a major big thing. Obviously, there were you know the nineteen you know fifties film serials as well as the TV show. Yeah, with uh, George Reeves, but with Christopher Reeve, he played this role. And I feel that there are elements of Superman that he didn't do, but we we look at it with the nostalgia glasses, the rose-colored nostalgia glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not 100%, because also I feel one of the best Batman of all time is Michael Keaton. I, I enjoy him way more than, I don't wear hockey pants, in Chris Nolan's movies. And, oh, Chris Nolan is a whole other kettle of fish that I could open up on. But I'm not going to today. Yeah, because, because you've got a different in, podcast in, incarnation, uh, a different perspective of of that character that needed it had to be broken, brought out in one way. And I think yeah, the Nolan followed along the lines of what was developing in the Dark Knight. So for it to become this way, fine. And a lot of people wound up making that their favorite. But in terms of the big screen again, groundbreaking. Or foundation, kickstart, jumping 
point, starting point, Michael Keaton, who, of course, initially you thought, who, Mr. Mom, what kind of thing? As somebody who lived through that era of these things, I would love to, you know, have heard your initial reaction to that and then seeing how you felt when you saw him portray that character well, for the first time. Part of time. the thing, too, was not only, you know, Michael Keaton is Batman. How can that work? But Bill Murray almost was Batman at one well, point. Well, see, I mean... <laughs> Eddie Murphy, if I remember correctly, was supposed to be Batman as well. But who got the top billing as far as visual print? Jack Nicholson. Yeah, because he was the biggest name out of everything. How crazy is that? How ironic. This is... Batman is the name of your movie, but you're... Typing the credit, villain. You know, people who didn't know anything would say, oh, Jack Nicholson's Batman? <laughs> because the main star would get the top billing the name out there and no that wasn't it so right now before we go we have one final question and that comes from brock landers when the lead singer of nickelback said that a hero can save us and he's not going to stand here and wait but still continue to make needish music why was that i'm not entirely sure let's go with post grunge and blame it on that post grunge hmm. yeah you yeah. know they i'm sure there were more than one submission as far as let's see if we can use this in the movie this came through, you know, in, in a couple of things, in the way the lyrics were written and in the way the song was delivered was, locally. So it, it achieved the the vocal tonality of what it needed to, of the, the guys were thinking. So. Guys, I'll say this. Say it. Say it. Say it. You know I know the lyrics of that song all too well. Like I said, I sang them word for word. Not in karaoke, it's, though. It's a guilty pleasure song. So yeah, <sighs> I kind of like the song... Am I embarrassed of saying that? Oh, hell yeah. But it's a guilty pleasure song. And what are guilty pleasures supposed to be? Guilty pleasures. So. Yeah, because you know what? If if it resonates with you in the way, and that's how you come to have a, an emotional tie, attachment, recognition at the very least for a song, it strikes a chord. Um, and, and part of it hits you, resonates with you. I'll get emotional to the point of tearing when uh, I'll hear a part of... Um, All-Star by Smash Mouth. No, not that one. <laughs> I'll hear certain songs and it'll just boom, just hit me like, wow. That, I that, do that, like that Big Butts and I cannot lie. <laughs> You're really going on. I'm thinking, <laughs> unfor- and not unfortunately, but I'm going to throw one, one out there that hits me is the Bon Jovi song, It's My Life. Yeah. And somewhere a part in there goes, wow, you know. And that doesn't mean I do it karaoke well or at all, but... Certain things trigger that for no good reason whatsoever. It might not be thinking about anybody or anything in particular, but it just hits you, and that uh, that makes a hit song in more than on more than one level. Now, guys, next episode is going to be 2004's Spider-Man Two, and this is a movie which a lot of people have gone on record saying is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. It's up there with like. The top three I've always heard over the years are Dark Knight, Spider-Man 2, and Captain America the Winter Soldier. Not in that order, but I've always heard those three together. And I'm going to be the judge of that for myself. You are as well. I'm interested in seeing Alfred Molina's role one more time as Dr. Octopus. And whether or not, after all the movies we've seen with the MCU... The DC movies over the past, you know, few decades, if it does, in fact, hold up as well as it does, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, those are that's a good three. If you were stranded on a desert island and you had three DVDs, what would you choose? Those wouldn't be such bad choices. Uh, personally, you know, I've said it before, but I would, in fact, swap out Dark Knight for Logan. Logan, that's a movie. Mamma Mia, that's a movie. <sighs> so before we go, get your questions ready for our Spider-Man 2 episode, which we will be answering on the show. And you can also check us out on social media. So... Go to Facebook.com slash... The Marvelous. Go and like us on there. Go on the Twitter at... The Marvelous. Give myself a follow at Peter Melnick. Yourself a follow at EWilson959. Go give us a follow on Instagram at... The Marvelous. And finally, drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelous at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters. We will read them and we will answer. We will. We're going to give you a strongly worded letter back in return. You tell them, Eddie. You didn't say anything, but you tell them, Eddie. Yeah, uh-huh. That's the way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I like it. Anyway. Also, go on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Five star if you're feeling so inclined. But spread the word. Let people know about this show. Let them know you're enjoying this. And we are going to be... Like I said, we're going through our Spider-Man month right now. We're hoping you're enjoying some of the stuff in between our little interviews we're having. There's a bunch of in between. Oh, there's there's some pretty good stuff that you're going to be hearing your way real soon. And yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited for this month because like I said, this is one of my all-time favorite characters. So to be able to talk about this character in such detail, yeah, I'm I'm honestly really stoked. So, like, like I said, let people know about this show. Let them listen Spread the word. Let the bird be the word, or, or the spider in this case. But for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! Man, that was a episode. That was certainly a good one. Uh, most of them are, we have to say, pat ourselves on the back, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah. And we can keep on doing this. Keep on keeping on. Now we're into our 20s as far as number of episodes. I would I would fathom a guess. Young, dumb, and full of comics. Sure. <laughs> now, even though Spider-Man from 2002 did not have any post-credit scenes, we would just want to delve into the Obsessed with Marvel book and, and fish out one question. We're great with the transition. Right, wrong, or otherwise, we're going to do this. It's question number 1,625. Who was not one of Egghead's emissaries of evil in The Defenders, number 42 and 43? This is from 1976 to 77. We're getting this wrong, aren't we? Uh, Egghead threw me way off. I'm thinking Vincent Price so in the I. Batman TV show. So who was Vincent not Price. one of Egghead's emissaries of evil in The Defenders, 42, 43? Okay. Solar, the Rhino, Cobalt Man, or Lunatic? Lunatic ending with a K. Who was not one of Egghead's emissaries of evil in The Defenders? Issue 4243. Solar, the Rhino, Cobalt Man, or Lunatic? I, I kind of have pictured in my head what all of them look like, but Egghead's emissaries of evil. You know, I think the Rhino was part of a team, but not that one okay. for, for one thing. I'll go with that for now. But so, my reasoning would have been for Lunatic because when you're saying it's spelled with a K at the end, spelling of characters like that wasn't really prevalent until like the 1980s, 1990s. Oh, you're really okay. Like I would go, you know, styling like that. 
But you're saying the idea of the rhino. Rhino is a character that's kind of like a nomad. Like he really doesn't have one home. But he could have been with them. He could have been, but I really doubt it. But then again, he might have been a part of it because when you have one of those teams with a lesser villain leading it, you still have to have that quote-unquote name recognition of one of the underlings. Possibly, yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's one of yeah. those. So I'm kind of making a second guess between the two now. I know, huh? and then the character of Solar, I'm not even thinking was a bad person, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm just really, this is a shot in the dark. So, Eddie, listen to your heart. Oh. When he's is that supposed to be a rock set in person? Well, we've got the wrong gender, first of all, so you have a better shot at the darkness, I believe, in a thing called, I love. In a thing called love. See? There you go. <laughs> so you're going to go with my thought as being the rhino? Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's go with B. And it is not the rhino. The answer is lunatic. Boom! I called it. I called it because of the spelling. Because of the spelling. K yeah. gets the square. <laughs> All right. You know what? Eddie needs his edemption. That didn't even make sense. That sucked. Wow. But just do, do another question, Eddie. Edemption. Okay. I know what you meant. But it sucked. And that's what's scaring me. Okay. So we're going to tra- track down to question number 297. I love the simplicity, by the way, of we're going to get this wrong, aren't we? They got it wrong. Should have just gone lunatic, lunatic fringe. Name that group. Red Rider. Thank you. Okay, right, which... You didn't give me time. I was going to name them. <laughs> I'm sure you were. I were. Which, I was. <laughs> which artist co-created the original Willie Lumpkin with Stan Lee? That's a fantastic four hint, kids. Which Jack Kirby. artist co-created the original Willie Lumpkin with Stan Lee? Stan Goldberg, Dan DiCarlo, Al Jaffe, or Jack Kirby? Jack Kirby, because he was one of the original characters from the 102-plus issues of the Fantastic Four, which I think we got wrong with that trivia thing. Like that, yeah. There's no way it was 50-something. They, they, they said 52, 54-something, but yeah. I think I think Jack Kirby's a safe guess, so we'll go letter D. No, what? it says no. It says it's Dan DiCarlo. Huh. Holy. Well, you know what, Eddie? Wow. We're going to do... And obsessed with Marvel question, I'm going to give you one, and I want to know who created. Because <laughs> I'm going to give you yours. I don't know who was the writer of Longshot in his initial four issue miniseries. Was it A. Anne Nascenti? Was it B. Anne Nascenti? Was it C. Anne Nascenti? Or was it D. RuPaul? I don't know. Four issue? I disagree. Crap. I'm going with six. Ooh. And yes, it's Anne Nascenti. I knew that. It is. And not RuPaul at all. I did know that. Right. Right. Ding, 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 ding. Eddie won. Eddie got his redemption. I stink on ice. Pew, pew. We out. <laughs>